This podcast follows the ordinary stories of entrepreneurs in the financial industry who broke their false beliefs, built companies, lost everything, and yet found the motivation to persevere in their stillest hour. Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Paul Sanders, and today, if you're a financial educator, financial publisher, and you're thinking about being acquired, you want to become acquired, I need you to listen to today's guest. Uh, we're speaking with Ian Rosen. Now, Ian uh, spent the last 25 years at the intersection of financial services, technology, and media as a founder, operator, and investor, among other things, in a very impressive bio. Uh, he was GM of MarketWatch, CEO of StockTwits, and currently the Chief Revenue Officer at Magnify. Um, I like what you have in your tagline on LinkedIn, which is that you're an investor, an entrepreneur, an operator, and a student. And today we're gonna to flip the script a little bit. Uh, we are gonna be the students, and uh, you see you sitting there in your professorial chair and you've got your whiteboard behind you. So we are all ready to go, ready to learn. And you know, for those listening, um, if you're interested in this process, we're gonna break it down to three buckets. As you know, I've spoken to a lot of you and have crowdsourced your questions. Um, and so we've broken those down into kind of three sections. And the first one is the rationale. Why in the world would you go about a process like this? The second one is the what questions. And then the third is, you know, if you're looking to be acquired, but you're not quite there yet, what steps could you take um, that would be important to take? So more recently, Ian's raised some money um, to purchase these types of companies. And so uh, we'll get into the rationale for that now. Ian, how's it going? Great. Thanks uh, so much for having me, Paul. I'm excited for this conversation. No, for sure. For sure. So I'm going to ask you uh, to start one of Elon Musk's favorite introductory interview questions, which is, uh, tell me the story of your life. <laughs> yeah. Ever since I was a little boy, I wanted to buy fintech and media companies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We were seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, like 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 most of us, uh, the world has changed rapidly, and and I've done my best to adapt in ways that I think are helpful. Um, my my background initially uh, was in always in the intersection of technology and finance. I worked for Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture, um, coding coding in C for uh, uh, financial services companies. Um, I spent most of the first half of my career in sort of, I guess, what I would call B2B financial data uh, with the usual sort of players around like Thompson, now Thompson Reuters and uh, Dow Jones. And uh, my career changed, um, I guess, around 2011 or 2012 uh, through a series of strange interactions for another show. I ended up as a, a general manager leading MarketWatch, which was uh, large public company acquired by Dow Jones, one probably one of the, certainly one of the largest multi-channel financial media companies in the world. Um, the website, newsletters, 600 radio stations at the time, and uh, and I became a consumer financial media guy. Um, I developed a, a really powerful uh, respect for audiences and for. Uh, consumers learning how to become better investors by, you know, I'd spent the prior part of my career working with like investment bankers and, and institutional people. And now I was working with individuals uh, who just want to become better investors. So MarketWatch, um, I left MarketWatch to co-found a company called Even Financial, which uh, helped at that time, helped uh, consumers get access to loans and other financial products using better data. 
uh, now even uh, was acquired by a company called Moneyline, public company, and yep. even is in many more financial products. I think the product in Moneyline is called Engine now. Okay. Uh, I was a CEO of StockTwist, which is the largest social network for investing and trading. Uh, again, loved audiences. We had a very, very highly engaged audience, um, which yep. I found just fascinating. I mean, we have our active users would spend as much time on a daily basis uh, on stock twits as Facebook users would spend on Facebook. Many fewer of them, of course, but it was a, a huge right. metric. Um, and then I started thinking about FinTech and uh, what's the a better use of this audience in terms of uh, their time and monetization. And we built a broker dealer, the first FINRA approved uh, broker dealer for a social media platform uh, called TradeApp, which is still a part of stock twits. Mm -hmm. and, um, and my next, did a couple of smaller things uh, in the year in between during COVID, but uh, but I took that thesis about audiences and and their value or undervalue, I should say, uh, and met with Vinay Nair, who had founded a venture studio called Tiffin, who also very strongly believed in this idea of combining uh, retail investors and audiences and what you can understand about them with uh, with true fintech. Uh, and a lot of fintech is really tech fin. It's technology companies that are trying to do a finance thing. Tiffin is really FinTech where we have a lot of people with deep financial services expertise in building AI and NLP and data layers on, on top of that expertise to serve investors better. That's excellent. That's excellent. Right. So you approach with all of that experience now to today's conversation around purchasing kind of these smaller financial education, financial publishing companies. So let's just start with one of the big questions that most people had, which was, you know, why would you be interested in doing this? And let's just start with that one. Why, why, would, why would you be interested? Why would a fund be interested? They raise some money. Why, why do this? Yeah, I think, I think that the financial media space in general has been largely undervalued, even when audiences are, you know, going crazy, like during COVID. And the reason is because the revenue models are primarily advertising and subscription, which aren't inherently interesting to the a lot of investors out there, but audiences are incredibly difficult to get and to build. And if you have a digital street corner where you have hundreds of thousands or millions of people showing up every day or every week or every month that care about what you're doing and they trust your brand, that's that's valued, in my opinion, yep. beyond the revenue multiples of that particular revenue model. So then the question is, what is more valuable about them connecting them up to like we did at stock puts a financial services product like a brokerage or in our case a tiffin we really wanted to use we wanted to understand what retail investors care about and we could go out and build an audience create a media company to have millions of people uh mm -hmm. deliver those insights through through data acquisition or or whatever but um, what I had said to, to Vinay at the time was these companies, I think are undervalued. I think we, there are great brands that are out there already. Let's partner with them through an acquisition. And I do mean that, like, I think a lot of the typical roll up type PE situations, you're not partnering, you're, you're just buying things and stripping out costs and mashing them together on a spreadsheet. And then, you know, you change the numerator and then, and then make money, but we're not doing that. We're, we believe that if we could work with the founders and, and of these companies to to integrate their audience insights using the kind of tools and capital and expertise that we had at Tiffin, 
that new learnings could be leveraged and, and, and brought out that could help across the financial services ecosystem from retail to financial advisor, wealth management to asset manager. So, so specifically, right, you're taking or you're trying to acquire audiences, which are difficult to build, and you're, you're kind of bolting on or adding different types of backends, different ways to monetize those audiences, which in the current context may not be done at a high level, right? Subscription model courses, coaching, that sort of thing. Um, is that, is that about right? Or yeah. Um, yeah. and then would you, would you say it's more like, are you saying it's easier to build product then than it is to build audience? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. I think that, I think that products are becoming more commoditized as they become easier to build as everything becomes, you can stand up a, you can stand up a, a company with AWS and a bunch of, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize it. Building product yeah, is hard. Sure but it's becoming easier and easier. And I think getting people's attention in a trusted way as an audience is getting harder and harder. So if I want to bet on one of those things, I want to, I prefer to bet on the audience. We, we build product, we build incredible product. And, but I think that the, over time, the things that are valuable are plumbing and infrastructure and data and, and connections with individuals. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. And then, if, you know, one of the other questions was why not just start this kind of from scratch? Um, you know, you have the product, start building kind of like an audience over time, do something in-house. Was this just for speed? Was that the biggest, the biggest reason or? That's not the business that we're in. In fact, in the early days of my time at Tiffin, um, I used to hear from Vinay all the time who was writing the checks for all this. Yeah. So this you're, not, you're not an operator anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, 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 an, you're an acquirer. And and that's why we we look for high. It's not just audiences; it's high quality audiences with high quality founders, yeah. um, who who manage things them, themselves. Uh, but we, I think that the time to build up a high quality audience, like that's just not the business we want to be in. We didn't want to build a media company. We wanted to go out and have a media company that we could transform uh, into something more valuable. Yeah, not just for us, for for the users as well. I mean, the evolution of of the way content is consumed is still very static in the financial publishing industry. It's the emails, it's newsletters, but the way, you know, I learned what movie I want to watch, guess what? It's a whole lot different than it's changing. Yeah. And we want to bring that. Yeah. That experience. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, another question a lot of people had was in understanding this process is the industry, I think is fairly familiar with joint ventures, kind of affiliate deals, cross pollination of, of networks and lists. So why not just do a, a joint venture? Why not just do an affiliate sort of deal? Try to grab people, pull them over, that sort of thing. Yeah, this is this is a really important question, and I it was, it's like, it's usually the second question that I get asked when I started doing this. Um, which I guess it's your second question too. Sure, there you go. <laughs> the data supports it. Yeah, I had the uh, I had the the privilege of of speaking or being asked to speak with a, a board of directors of a very large. Uh, firm in our space and and what i said to them was yeah i mean they said why don't you just partner with us i was like yeah we can but but it's the difference between like buying oil or or buying a well and as like you guys are sitting on a bunch of wells producing a bunch of oil and you can figure out how you want that oil to flow through all the way as far as you want to take that vertical integration right what we are looking to do, what we are doing, requires us to understand how does the audience come in, 
has the audience engaged with us? Has the audience moved through the publishing products? Has the audience engaged with other products? How do we get data out of those things? And I think with a joint venture, it's just much, much, much harder to, to align the interests of both parties to do that. Um, I, I just felt like we needed, we needed some wells of our own. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you, I mean, you also have more control in that way too, right? So end-to-end -end process, like you were saying. Yeah. Like I can go to one of our brands or and say, listen, we want to try to move content in this other direction because on you know six steps down the line, it's really valuable in this other way. And, and we can create it a user to uh, engagement to product connection that, that you can't do in a J JV. You'd have to go find something that aligned. Yeah, no, that's true. And then um, this question comes from Luis uh, Bedford over at the trading game. Um, and she, she was particularly asking about compliance issues. Um, and that was kind of a familiar theme. Well, you know, you know, very familiar in the industry. What, what does that look like? And now if you're purchasing these companies, is that a really big factor that you're looking at or it's a really big factor? And, and, you know, when, when I was at stock and we said we wanted to build a broker dealer, the, the immediate reaction is you can't do that because you have a social network of people saying everything they want to say, and you're going to also have this sort of regulated entity. Like, how's that possible? And we live in a world where, and this is why people get into trouble when they don't dot all the I's and cross the T's and they're pushing every boundary. But we live in a world where things can, can be changed very rapidly. And I think that my answer to that, my first answer to that is that if you are FinTech and not tech fin, then you think from the beginning about like, what is regulation trying to accomplish? I'm trying to like not hurt an end user. I'm trying to not give specific advice to a general audience, right? So Tiffin and, and Magnify is is an RIA, right? I mean, we have a broker dealer, right? So we're regulated. But Magnify Communities, which is the entity that acquires these these firms is, is not. And we have the publisher's exemption and we benefit from that. And the way to keep that, just like at Stockless, where we created separate entities and separate processes and and we have many, many attorneys um, and we have compliance personnel that are constantly reviewing everything that we do and send out to make sure that our general uh, statements are going out in a generalized way and are, are caveated and, and disclaimed as, as appropriate. And that when we do give specific advice through Magnify, that that's not confused. The, I think the short answer to your question is that the uh, it's really, really important because as soon as you do something like this, you're going to have regulators immediately looking at you. You have to know that. You have to be working with the regulators from the beginning, which we do. Uh, and we did at Stockwoods as well. You have to have processes that are well-documented and well-understood and people putting them in place who know what they're talking about, which is a big yeah. And you have to have just uh, constantly reviewing uh, all those things. But it is a big deal because at the end of the day, people get in trouble with compliance. They get in trouble with compliance because they're doing something that's gonna that's gonna could hurt hurt an end user. If you start from the premise that I'm trying to help the end user, then even if you fall outside the line on this thing or that thing, like it's not it's not so terrible because you're trying to do the right thing and that shows through in everything you do. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it can be a hard principle for the industry to remember, um, unfortunately. It's easy for like it's easy for like blanket rules. You can't do this, you can do this, you never do this, you never do that. And that's the way you have to operate it. If you're a founder, I think this is one of the benefits of, of working with a tiffin. Yeah, is that if you're a founder led owner operator, you just don't have the resources to figure all that stuff out. You're going to get an opinion and you're going to go by that opinion. You know, we might have 
you know, many people working with many compliance people and many different regulators to make sure that we're doing it the right way. But it's a creative new thing that we're figuring out. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. And a lot of people may not even have access to that whole legal side, which is another big advantage. Like, it's, really, it's expensive. I mean, I think yeah. that's what it comes down to is that. Yeah. I have no. some great anecdotes about that from the stock to its time. <laughs> That'll be an outtake. We'll have a legal outtake for the, the real hardcore <laughs> people who want to watch that at the end. Um, is there any difference regulatory compliance wise, you know, if you go internationally, have you looked internationally? Is that interesting to you? Are you sticking here in the States? We're staying here. Um, we did, when I say we magnify briefly was in the UK. And what we found was that the what we're trying to do is big and it's, and it's ambitious. Um, and when I say we, I mean, magnify a tip and, uh, and we just didn't need to be anywhere else. Like to, to be able to do that here is big enough. Um, yeah. that we decided not to focus outside. I I'm sure five years from now or three years from now, we'll, we'll revisit that. But, you know, our, our goal is not, um, just sort of a big, wide thin layer of expansion it's a deep understanding of of a particular area and that's right now in the us no that makes sense and then do you ever look at canada too yeah no sure that makes sense and then do you ever consider related type companies um so for example maybe prop firm companies you know that sort of thing where they're they're funding platforms they, they kind of have a, a crossover audience or no you're just not you're pretty focused at this not point. yet i mean i think the, the, the other obvious question is, it kind of goes along with your JV question is, you know, those audiences might be in different types of firms, right? It's not just media. Um, and there might even be better alignments. It's just not something where, first of all, the, the way media companies, if you're going to do something at scale, if you're going to, you're going to acquire multiple companies, you want six companies in a year. Like we pause for a minute while we integrate things, but like you're introducing a scale, you have to have like pretty consistent metrics and an understanding of what you're looking for. And I think that becomes a more bespoke kind of transaction if you're looking at different types of companies, different revenue models. And now you have a challenge of like technology integration and, and you know, what are we gonna do with this other part over here? That's really cool, but it's not what we do. So um, we've been pretty focused. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You want to niche really down. You're just looking for a few companies, a certain process that makes sense. Yeah, I went from having, I mean, personally having done having been involved in one M&A deal and then led another tiny M&A deal to all of a sudden doing six relatively sizable deals in under 12 months, which yeah. is, you know, if you've ever done an M&A deal is kind of insane. So I, I was learning a lot as I went. Yeah, as, as, as our founders will happily tell you. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, so a couple, couple of questions around kind of the psychology of people who want to sell. Um, what, what has been their psychology? And it's not exactly selling. It's more partnering with you guys. So what's, if you're looking for a founder, I know you guys, you said you, you paused for a little bit, but what's the psychology behind the founder who wants to kind of partner with you? Yeah, it, so we, this is probably the area where we learn the most. Um, you know, we're not, we're not buying companies. We're not buying audiences. We're, we're really... We're, we're, I hate the word, the word partnering is really overused, but, but what we found was the people who really, and I say people, like the individuals who really were into what we're trying to do on the Magnify side. And they're like, you know what? I totally get it. This is the future. I've been trying to level up my business 
and we just didn't have the capital or resources to do any of these cool things. And now we can do that with you. And I'm excited to be on the team and like, let's get going. Yeah. That's going to work. And the people who are like, well, I'd really rather have like, I just want like an all cash deal. And I want to, and, and, and everything's about like the, 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 you know, the transaction, Yeah, like that's, harder to work with and what i have told people like especially after like deal one and two i was like listen i'm not this is not a this is not an adversarial negotiation like because when we're done with this deal i have to think about day one deal plus one where we're working together like i'm not trying to screw you over because we're going to be working together like 10 seconds later like and and i think i think different people have different reasons for wanting to exit right we, we like people who are uh they're looking to take some money off the table from you know to to, to represent what they've built and to, to do something to make make their future a little bit more secure but they're not done they're ready to like they, they're ready to sort of amp things up like that's that works for us there are other plenty of other uh buyers uh that are fine with the other they actually prefer the other kind like hey come in we'll take your stuff we'll take your people get out you know we're the opposite uh, I see. I see. Although th- that creates a team, like our team is a team of uh, highly motivated Type A yeah. entrepreneurial individuals who are now yeah. part of a big company, and uh, yeah. that makes it really <laughs> kind of yeah. an internal group. Yeah. No, that's that's great. So very much more of the bigger pot, you know, making the pie bigger type of concept. You add your audience, you add your expertise. Now we can give you these other things uh, as part of our platform. And together we become more valuable. We grow. But you also have to be ready to look. I mean, you can't get away from the fact that, you know, you are selling. Like at the end of the day, like you don't get to make every call. Like there are calls that you still can make, but, you know, we're going to direct these businesses to the good of the whole. Yeah. And and I think, honestly, that that's why it's like a needle thread. Like you have to be like ready to be part of something else. Yeah. But also, and, and, and to have you know a structure of kind of above you um but also have built something that's worth that's worth selling yeah and kind of on that related point um what would be kind of a list of some of the things that would make this attractive to you know a pub or to an educator like what what are some of the things when you combine those pieces of pie together to make a larger whole if you were to have a few bullet points um um on a personal level or on a, on a, like a business business. Yeah. On a business level, on a, on a business level. Um, I mean, first and foremost, we, we just have lots of resources that they simply aren't going to be able to get access to. And we talked about lawyers already, but it's not just that it's, it's, it's development, it's AI, it's natural language. It's, it, those are both technology. It's, um, yeah. you know, relationships. Like if you go to the tiffin.com slash team page, like you're going to see that, you know, there are very few doors in financial services that we can't open mm-hmm. in cases with like a text message. You know, it's a, it just being, a, I think we can help. And, and one of our founders has said this, I think, in other podcasts, like he was ready to just level up the whole business. He, he was not going to be able to get much bigger on his own. And even if like we're not necessarily going to make his business individually much bigger. He's going to become part of something that's going to be much, much bigger. I mean, uh, it's public information that, you know, you know, Tiffin's last vow was, you know, north of $800 million. I mean, that was partially built on the the background of some of these smaller, 
you know, three, four, five, $10 million companies that we acquired. I mean, it's nice. Yeah. To, so yeah, so cap, yeah, it's capital technology and, and people. So now that's a very, very, very interesting point, which I was actually thinking about, which I wonder if you could expand on this idea of financial alchemy, as it were, where you have smaller publisher, a few million dollars, whatever, they're not going to get a great valuation for that company unless it's a really strategic buyer, right? Mm -hmm. But now what happens when you take that entity and you put it together into a financial technology platform? Like, what is that? Like, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a phrase that I like as well, uh, financial alchemy. I think that... Um, it's 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 the process of extra of getting the right valuation for the audience, right? So the audience is not worth as much as it should be because the revenue models aren't right. So what is what is worth that? Well, across all of our different um, just in Magnify communities, just the retail um, newsletters. In fact, we don't even use Magnify communities anymore. We just it's all part of Magnify and Magnify newsletters. But we have I think six or seven hundred thousand events every twenty four hours that occur. Somebody reads something, somebody opens something, somebody clicks on something, somebody buys something. And all those events go into a, uh, a Tiffin level data pool, which we have a team of extremely bright, I'll, 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 I won't go through all the cliche terms, but like really great data scientists in Boulder that are uh, using that to create a very unique view of retail investors and what they're interested in such that you know that's very valuable information to other parts of the spectrum so now you're taking this sort of subscription and revenue and uh an advertising business and you're saying actually i could tell you exactly what kinds of people are really interested in electric vehicle funds but not china or something like that and uh, so that's part of it and then connecting it with uh connecting those audiences with products like Magnify, which is a uh, AI-based investing assistant. Uh, so the power of NLP and, and AI, yeah. but based on and interacting with the audiences and content that we have, those things are much, much, much more valuable from a revenue perspective, from a total addressable market perspective, from a, a, a multiples perspective. I mean, you could look at a media business, you know, one to two times revenue and at least prior to the, the current compression, I mean, some of these other types of businesses that we are working on, it could be over 30 times, right? And now it's a little Huge. bit more. Certainly, if you, can, if you can credibly turn that, that revenue into revenue that is really people who are really interacting with these other products, then it is, it is yep. a much more valuable yep. audience. No, to go from two to 30, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a massive, that's a, that's, that's a massive transition. Um, yeah. And, and there's no way there, there not, there's not no way there are companies that, that have passed uh, on us uh, or we like them and they're like, we're going to do it ourselves. And, and there are like one or two that are like, you know what, we're just going to build this out. I want to build a giant company and they're doing it and good for them. Right. But 99% right. are not going to want to have the skills, have the capital, and, yep. and but they want but they get that that's the future yeah no that makes sense that makes sense okay time for uh a couple critics so so not critics but but um there's a few questions that were asked that were um curious like how things have gone or maybe i, I don't know if it was like less of an in-depth view or more of a superficial view and 
couple of people didn't want to be named on the podcast and they said they said they were like just ask Ian I'm interested like how how have they gone so far the acquisitions and you you know you can answer whatever you want yeah. um you know how have they gone what have you learned and kind of what would you you know what are you doing going forward yeah so I've, I've learned I've learned more in the last two years than I learned in any period in my career maybe maybe the first two years but and a lot of it's about um some of the things we touched on right so what I thought my job when we first started doing this was to go out and find and acquire companies, but that's actually not true. My job is to, in in many ways, convince people not to, to not like find all the ways why it wouldn't work. And then whoever's still there, that's going to be a good fit. What I've learned is that the, you can have, have a good business, uh, but it's just maybe they're not the founders aren't aligned with what we want to do and we've we've not not done deals for that um you could have a a founder who's completely aligned with what you want to do but the business just doesn't work or make sense or the, the products aren't going to enter very well um the other thing i've learned which is easily the most frustrating is that you could have a good business and it's just too difficult to untangle like what they've done like it's a and this is I think this probably gets into some other more tactical things that either you you were going to ask or you did ask. You know, when I can look at something like clean financials and I understand like what's happening, it's just so much easier to say, all right, this makes sense as opposed to like, well, you have to like, you know, pull out like my brother-in-law's cousin's Porsche from the thing and like, oh, we always like let our people like, you know, eat for free on Thursdays or whatever. I mean, it's hard to, so yeah. I think, but, but I think the biggest learning has been to, spend much more time with the people especially the leaders to understand um what they're trying to get out of it and make sure that that's aligned with what we can give them to, yeah. to answer the initial question we've had zero failures like i think that i am really excited and proud of everyone uh that has become part of the team i think different people have um you know, spent more or less time engaged. There are a couple of people that are more off on their own. A couple of people that are deeply embedded in Magnify sure. and there are a uh, couple that have uh, moved on, but not because that didn't work. Yeah. Um, they moved on because like their journey has taken them someplace else and we're left in a great place. So I think, um, but yeah, for sure, the, for sure the biggest learning is to not try to make a deal work. You can't so, make a deal all the deals. Yeah. It, you're, it's to make a deal not work and then see, see if you're still there at the end. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And then even with the pubs or the the educators that, you know, have been around or you've purchased and experienced maybe a harder year or two, revenues dropping, that sort of thing. Does that matter less? Like, why does that? Because that was one of the concerns. It's like, oh, like, you know, bad acquisition, that sort of thing. But like, does that matter less when the back end monetization model is so good? Like what? Like, talk to me a little bit about that. I, I've yet to I've yet to meet a business that was like, that's fine. <laughs> uh, and, and certainly I did not get that from, from, sure. <laughs> so Hey, listen, the whole industry, you know, I hear so-and-so lost 40% of their top line and, you know, we're, we're only yeah. down like 10%. I like, I don't care. I don't care yeah. About these guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a rough, it was definitely a rough year to buy a bunch of companies and then all of a sudden go into like probably what was the worst period in financial publishing in a long time. Right. Um, that said, there are two things that we have, three things we have at our advantage. One is that we are trying to do something bigger and this isn't like the main purpose. So we can kind of like focus on the prize and not worry 
as much about that. Number two is that we have uh, we had multiple companies which had lots of inefficiencies and they were founder-led businesses and there were opportunities to uh, combine functions and save you know costs and things like that. And number three, which is really the the only and right answer, is that along with these acquisitions came a team of extremely talented operators. So if, if like I think of myself as a pretty good operator, but you know what? Now I got one, one of the deals came with no founder, but the other five yeah. came with extremely talented people. So if we have to say, all right, we got to figure out what to do right now. Yeah. We had a, our meetings are like a brain trust of people that knew, knew how to do that. That that's, and, and, that, and honestly, let me put that also in the bucket of, you know, what can we offer, uh, you know, somebody who's, who's telling like a team of peers that are just like you, yeah. like complimentary, but, but basically other entrepreneurs that you're working with to solve a much bigger goal. Like, Hey, if we can all get to this, if yeah. we can all get to this, to this goal, like it's going to be worthwhile financially and otherwise, and you get to do it with a great team of people not instead of competing with them. Exactly. And I think, I think that perspective is lost a little bit just in the human nature of I'm a founder. I, I've worked on this for, 10 years, this company or whatever, and I'm, and I'm building that up. And it's very individual sort of oriented. Um, and, and sometimes you need to be broadened a little bit to look at the sheer value others can bring. Yeah, it, it, it's it's both sides. And I, I'll, I'll say sometimes like sort of very affectionately, like we have like basically a team of pirates, myself included. Like everyone is like super type A. And that's like what, what, what we all feel. I think that the ability to sort of have this sort of team of like-minded you know, pirates is great. I mean, and, and it's, and it's exciting. And, and we're a startup at heart, not just the newsletter side, but, but magnify and Tiffin as big as Tiffin is startup. So to have the mentality of people who just want to win and to have other people around to do that with, it's fun. Oh yeah. It's like, that's the word I should have used a lot earlier. It's honestly like, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. And that's a culture you want to be part of like hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. This is like my dream. Job. It's like, I get to like work with like, yeah. Yeah. Smart driven people. Um, yeah. So only a couple other questions in this. You can choose who you want to work with. Yeah. 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 Um, no. So a couple, just two more questions in this section around the rationale. I think we've kind of, um, we've covered it pretty well. And then we'll proceed to a few more tactical what questions. But one of them, one of the questions is you have a perspective. Like you were saying, you have, what was it, 600 transactions or certain points every day in the, in the, the 600,000 or 6,000? 600,000. 600,000. Right. So what do you see from that bird's eye view of what types of products are working right now in the market? Yeah. Again, working for Tiffin and for what we're trying to do is it's not misaligned with with what everyone else is doing, but it's not necessarily completely aligned. I mean, we we care about just understanding what people are interested in as opposed to maximizing the ARPU, right? But um, and honestly, like this is probably the area where I feel at least comfortable speaking about it because I'm I'm not an operator. But I think on the newsletter side, um, obviously in the in the in the current climate, a lot of things like uh, like value and dividends and income generating and um, yeah, you know, hot uh, hot themes like yeah. AI and robotics and I mean everything you'd sort of see on the on the typical news. But I think that um the things that really did really well in the last year were were a lot of the dividend products. You know, how do I just like 
maintain an income while I yeah. weather this. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then do you I'm see sure that things like fear were good? We did not do a lot of that uh, just okay. because I don't like it when you need to. But I'm sure like if you tell people like, you know, the world's collapsing, right? Gold, you know, that's works, but we, we haven't done that. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, and this is another one from uh, from Dave over at the Aspen Trading Group, but he was asking on products, so it's working with sort of the products, and then on the marketing side, do you because you're exposed to a lot of this? Now I understand it's different because what you guys are doing, the whole process is different, maybe than a traditional caregiver to sell you into a newsletter. But like, do you see themes in marketing that are that are working better than others? Like you mentioned, uh, fear is one, but no, I you know what I don't know that I want to like pick something particular. I don't know that I know. I think that, um, I think the way that we get, that we get users, we have a lot of loyalty and some of the brands are very guru driven and, you know, whatever, you know, Adam Esch wants to talk about to his audience, like they really want to hear it. And and the yeah. same thing for, you know, Steve Reitmeister or, or, or yep. Jay Soloff or Tim Plain. But I think that there are other of our products that are just more about like, where would you put a thousand dollars tomorrow? And how do I get a thousand dollars a month back? Right. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would if I would pick a, if I would, maybe other people. You should do a podcast with somebody else from my team. I don't market. Yeah, it's marketing. <laughs> no, I know, and I appreciate that answer because, um, yeah, no, that's that that's a great insight. Just to be like, hey, I don't have the answer. I, I appreciate that. Um, one other question in this section. This one comes from uh, Jared Davis at Financial Source, but he was wondering, from your experience, it, it, is it possible to build financial education or publishing company kind of without this guru face? I know it's been done, but like, is that as interesting to you? Do you find a big differentiator when you have that guru there who's able to kind of speak to the audience, build that relationship? Is that what you look for? Or is it totally fine to build something faceless and that's just as valuable? Well, if I, I mean, from where we are, if I had the choice, we'd probably take no, not, no guru. I mean, that's just like a single point of failure from our point of view. That said, it's great to have the gurus because they have brands and people trust them and and as long as they're bought into what we're doing, they're big advocates for, for magnifying and everything else. But I think that from a pure business perspective, um, yeah. that's one of the most limiting things yeah. things of a, of a of a business, and especially if the founder is the guru. Yeah. You know, you're buying that person, right? And that's fine. I mean, that's great. But yeah. I think it's much less scalable than okay. I have a machine that runs, and I can. I can slot in different content sources as they become better or worse, as opposed to like, I mean, and Rosen, I always talk about like leverage gold ATS. And if those yeah. aren't, I'm screwed, right? Yeah. So, no, so I definitely understand it's not an ideal solution, but like you're still, is this just a necessary evil to put up with? Or do you actually think it's an advantage? Cause you're buying them for their audiences, right? You're, you're like, so is it an advantage that you're kind of looking for here? Or would you be fine to say, oh, I'll just buy a faceless company that it's, you know, developed email lists and products over time? I think I, I prefer, I prefer faceless company. Um, they're, both are fine. I don't want to like discourage anything, but I think that a faceless company that has a quality audience has obviously done something else to, yeah. to make their audience trust them. I mean, yeah, I don't interact with Tim Cook a lot, but I think Apple products are pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> You know, I think I think you can I think you can build trust in a brand without having one face be that be that trust. So yeah, I, and and in a lot of ways, like you've less risk or and more flexibility without that guru. But that said, like 
you know, out of our six brands, five of them were guru led. So sure. I sure. It's not an issue. Okay. Let's transition to a few of the, what the harder sort of what more tactical questions. The first one is what type of revenue multiples slash profit multiples do you look at paying and how does that let's get into the money Ian. people, people want to talk about the money. Let's what's going on. Listen, good stuff. So, uh, when we first started doing this, we were saying like one and a half to two times revenue. Maybe we would stretch a little bit higher. Uh, again, these are like founder-led businesses. Like this is sort of like, not that we wouldn't go above or below depending on what, what the situation is, growth or whatever, but like that was kind of like the range. Um, the market definitely is lower now. I think, I think people are not, mm -hmm. you know, now we're probably looking closer to one times to one and a half times. Yeah, right? like I said, we've been paused for a little bit, so I haven't like done any like real, real yep. deal diligence in, in, in six months or so. But I think um, profitability is really important. We don't want to. One of the hardest parts of the job for me as a former operator is that like you see a lot of deals. You're like, oh, man, I could change like three things and make this thing hum. Right. And yeah. that's not the job. Right. So I think you have to kind of come in with minimum 30% probability, right? I mean, let's say, you know, on a cash basis and, uh, you know, strip out the founder salary and because sometimes they're like, yeah, we're profitable. Like, well, you didn't pay yourself. That's your distribution. So let's say if all, right. all costs, all costs in 20, 25 to 30% uh, profitable, which honestly, if you have a good healthy business is very achievable. Uh, the challenge is um, stripping out all the personal things and just, you know, wacky accounting and whatever, right. the, which I don't mean wacky like a legal. I just mean like there are a lot of things you can do when you're a founder yeah. in, in like a sole proprietorship that you just can't do if you're a Delaware C Corp with a Morgan <laughs> as your investor, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that, those are the biggest things. Uh, good, uh, good churn rates, um, low churn rates, just say, you know, quality audience, low yeah. fraud, um, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, on the pure media side, that sounds discretion. On pure media side, I like to see like, you know, Dow over Mal, like 50%. Um, yeah. Yeah. High, high active engagement, five day stickiness. Those are all things that are like important. Sure. Sure. And then when you look at the op or the founders, the operators themselves, um, I'm assuming you're looking for a lifetime sort of relationship. Is there a certain period of years or are you like, what is it? What does it look like? Long time. <laughs> no, not like that. Um, but we're looking for a few years. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we usually, yeah. we usually structure deals. In fact, always structure deals so that like the person's heavily incented to, to be here for yeah. several years. Um, that's not to say like it, was, it doesn't make sense that we're not going to like, Right. Hold anyone to the fire and we're, we're right. you know, part as friends and figure it out. But yeah, we're definitely looking for people that are uh, looking to, again, it goes back to like, who do we want? We want people that want to do this with us. So if something changes in their life that it doesn't make sense anymore. Okay. If something changes in terms of the strategy of what they want or what we want, I guess I can kind of understand it, but I, I, I want to be here the minimum amount of time and then go off into the sunset. Not that's not for us. Sure, sure. And the, the compensation models you're saying, you know, to heavily incentivize operators to stay, um, do those generally look like, um, you know, cash? Like what, what's kind of the break, the breakdown that that looks like, or is it co completely custom? Almost, no, it's not completely custom. We've strayed outside of this. And honestly, a couple of times that we've strayed outside of this, I've kind of regretted it a little bit. Um, yeah. 
not like well, nothing against those people or those businesses, but I think we'll just, there, there's a there's something that kind of works, and that, and that's just like mostly cash, a good enough equity that it really matters, um, and then the founder gets you know just a salary, and then uh, I, I try to avoid like things like once you create things like earnouts and stuff, you're you're potentially misaligning incentives, like you know they they want to do something and you want to do something different, but they're incentivized to do the other thing. So yeah, just clean, clean, clean deals. Uh, we do, we do very quick diligence. So um, what that means is that we're putting ourselves at risk a little bit and, and to compensate for that risk, we do a 25% cash holdback. So whatever the cash amount is, we'll hold that back for, for 12 months. It's not an earn out. Like you don't have to do anything except not have lied to us. And then, <laughs> and we, you know, we've never even paid that out, but we're just kind of like, unless just in case, like we didn't dig into this and the whole thing's a big fraud, like yeah, in the news, then at least we have 25% of the cash held back. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, it's, it's, it's just a straight combination of cash and stock and it's stock and, and yeah. all magnify whole co. No, that makes sense. Another question uh, people were wondering is, okay, I do this deal, you know, this happens. What kind of marketing machine sort of do i have access to um and what what is that what does that look like that's in the business so that's in the business. okay um i mean no lie we've had uh we have some of who i would consider to be some of the best marketers in our industry uh as part of our team um we also have uh i'm trying to think of like the way to phrase these kinds of things so uh, Greg Corso right now leads uh, Magnify, not right now, Greg Corso leads Magnify uh, Marketing, CMO. Um, he comes from Stash, uh, which is a consumer fintech. Uh, but most of the people on the newsletter side are uh, deep inside the space. Like everyone's names are people that you would know. I think mm -hmm. they've been elevated to roles that have complemented their skill sets. Um, we have a significant amount of resource. We've occasionally brought in consultants from outside people. Again, names that everyone on this listening to this would know that sure. help us figure stuff out. We have the the money to do that. Um, I think the I think the main and then the, the second question, which probably goes along with that, is how much capital do you have to deploy against these things? And that just that comes down. Th this is someplace where I wouldn't say friction, but it's something to think about for a founder. Like I, I we want to keep businesses healthy and to continue to grow the newsletter side we're really trying to get magnified subscriptions. That's part of the transformation in the alchemy that we talked about earlier. So our, our marketing is geared towards bringing people into the newsletter funnels and having them, uh, you know, generate revenue and profitability from those funnels, but also ultimately to make them into magnified clients. So that's, that's how we think about it. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the questions that people were concerned about is, you know, some people have children, some people have a dog, um, and some people, their business is their child. Um, yeah, yeah, you were right. I have children, dog, and business. See, but, yeah, but for some people, right, the business is the child. And if you're talking about giving up control, it's very, you know, terrible, it's personal. So what control are they giving up, really? Um, you know, it's like, it's like the line from the pro, I don't know if you, we watch the, the show, the profit, right. Where Marcus Lomonas in the end, after he acquires a business, he's like, Hey, for the next 60 days, I'm in complete control. Um, you know, just so they're clear. Yeah. No, yeah. It's not like that. My wife will never be watching this podcast, but if she was, she would recognize this. There's people asked her why we didn't, did we think about having a third child? And she said, we had, we had a startup instead. We had a start. No, that's it. That's it. Um, the. Look, nominal. 
it, it's irresponsible not to say that yeah, you're going to control the, the final decision is not going to be yours. Right. Um, but the operation of that business, like, I don't know how to run this person's business. And there's the reason they're here is because they're successful. Like, I'm not trying to like mess with it. I think that we need to have those businesses aligned to the goals of Magnify and Tiffin, which is to get subscriptions for Magnify and to get data and things like that. And then sometimes like, for example, in the last year where we had to make things, you know, account for issues in the market and potential revenue drops and things like that. then we did combinations and, and some of that stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know, if my person doesn't end up on top, like I'm upset. I mean, everyone feels like they have the top team. Sure. So there are things that, that, that you're not going to get. And that's why we're compensating people. And we want people that are, can keep their eye on the larger goal. But I think the, the right way to say that, and, and honestly, this is the kind of thing where people want to follow up. I always encourage people to just talk to the people whose businesses we have acquired. We're not hiding any secrets. So you can ask them how it goes. Um, yeah. Most things they, they, we respect, I respect them as operators. They respect each other as operators They do their thing. And then sometimes there are things that we just have to do. And uh, I think for the most part, because everyone's so heavily incented for the success of the whole, yeah, like they understand, you know, they understand. And I think that, especially when it comes to like jobs or things or changing roles or replacing roles, like we have a really good network. I don't think there's anyone that, that has left our group involuntarily where we like, you know, combined roles and they ended up having, you know, not having a role for them. Like every single one of those people has landed in as good or better a job. Like we're, we're, we're so I, I think, I think that that buys us like, you don't get off, you don't get control, but, yeah. but, but you're also not going to be part of like a machine that, that yeah. doesn't care what happens. Chews you up and spits you out. Yeah. No, that makes sense. We like grace, we gracefully chew. <laughs> that's not right. That's not right. Yeah. 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 So, and then what also like what general size are you looking at for companies to, to acquire? Um, what does that look like? Sweet spot's been two to 10 million in revenue. Um, okay. Okay. Not to say we wouldn't do more or less. I think when I first came into this, I thought we'd buy one big company. Um, then just the way things worked out. I, I think when you get under like 2 million, you get into like a million, like it just has to be like really clean and really profitable because just the mechanics of doing a deal is just not, just yep. not worth it. But um, the diligence and the work. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we, we, we have really good lawyers, which are expensive. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much um, kind of the what the what questions that people were asking. Um, the next the next section, which is a little bit shorter, is just around there. There are a lot of companies out there that are on that smaller side. You know, they're they're making you know maybe they're million dollar a year you know revenue companies uh, or less. What what sort of steps are or things, what, what do you see um, that is untidy, dysfunctional, that is terrible, that you would wish see corrected or in early stages? Um, this is also particularly relevant for me because partnerships with a couple of different smaller educators who are kind of like working up to that to that stage. Yeah. What, what does that look like? Yeah, this is actually, I think this is kind of easy, at least from my perspective, two yeah. things. Um, don't build around people, build around roles. So you can't, it's difficult to, to ingrain into a situation where like, oh, that's, that's Joe or Jane. They do these nine things and, and that's just the way founder companies grow, right? But they yeah. do these nine things. Uh, they're not really amazing at 
any of them they're or they're really amazing at all of them or something like that but there's a huge dependency on that person as opposed to like this is the job you could have people split like i do they do this job and they do this job but you have to build around the jobs because then when you're trying to figure out how that's going to like connect to the rest of the the larger org it's much easier to figure out rather than having to figure out each individual person how you split 10% of their time or something like that. That's number one. Number two, it, it, which is really just building to scale. It's not even to be acquired. It's just, if you're going to scale a business, you have to build around. Yes. Yeah. Uh, number two is uh, accounting and finances. Be legal, be clean, um, be clear. Uh, there was a company that I really liked that like we asked them for, you know, three years of monthly financials. And we had to, add, we had like on the third or fourth time where it didn't come back exactly that way. We're like, you know what? We can't even go forward. They're like, no, no, I'll get it to you. I'm like, if you can't produce three years of monthly financials out of QuickBooks or something like that, there's no way that like when you get in this environment with, you know, our FinOps team based in Boulder, which is operating across all of Tiffin, like that you're going to make everyone's going to make each other crazy. So, yeah. um, yeah. having clean financials or at least, you know, a way to like produce those. So it's understandable that you would have personal things as part of like a founder led business, but just have an easy way to like sort of separate that for somebody who wants to look at it as an acquisition because mm -hmm. yeah, all of yeah. that is for. Um, I think uh, have a machine. Actually, this is probably all three are the most important thing. But, okay. Um, the, okay. Build a machine that, that, that works, right? So you can add, you understand the levers, you understand your KPIs, you understand what moves the needle. You know what your, um, if you put a dollar in, how much do you get back and when? Um, to know all those things in repeatable ways so that somebody else can just like, sh you know, pour gasoline on it and make it run. That's like the best situation as opposed to like, I don't know what's gonna happen. Like we just kind of always like do a webinar and then we make money. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you have a machine that runs that that's gonna be scalable, that's phenomenal. It's not just, again, all the things I'm saying are not, these are not tipping specific. These are just anyone yeah. who wants to build a company and exit it. Yeah. I remember somebody telling me a long time ago, like long before this role, and when I was, we were building even, it was really early days in even, long before we thought about being acquired. And he just told me like, listen, when you do biz dev deals, you have a standard template? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you deviate from it? I'm like, yeah, of course, sometimes. He's like, every time you deviate from it, put it in an Excel spreadsheet. That way, when somebody asks you for your contracts, you give them the standard one and you give them an Excel spreadsheet. So you hear all the deviations from that. It's the easiest thing in the world. For a diligence perspective, it'll take you 10 seconds. But if you're doing a deal, it's going to take some lawyer like 10 hours and they may not want to do it. Yeah. And it shows that you know what you're doing, right? So I think just like having everything documented and clear so that like somebody who would look into these things, honestly, if I was going to build a business like from scratch again now, which honestly I never would do. <laughs> but what I would do is I would, I would, I would make sure to document everything and just have all these things. I would build it for sale because someday down the road, there's going to be some junior associate working, you know, 30 hours a day who's going to be tasked with trying to figure out like what the hell you did with your biz dev agreements. And the harder you make his job, then the less likely a deal is going to happen because the, as everyone will tell you, like the thing that kills deals is time. Yep. That's the only thing that kills deals. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. That's great advice. Um, and in the in the, the heat of the moment, right, when you're trying to balance everything and figure it out and you're trying to cut costs and you don't want to spend, you know, to get those extra details in place and to take a step back, because we're always pursuing revenue, we're always pursuing revenue, right, revenue, revenue, but you actually have to take a step back and build those processes out. It doesn't seem important. And I was in that boat. It's like, who cares about like, I'm not worrying about like selling this thing 10 years from now. I'm just trying to like, you know, get my first client. Yeah. Like, 
but it's just like it's it's like so many things in life it's it, it's so easy to do as you go and it's so hard to do it at the end yep yep no that makes a lot of sense wow i sound like you know telling my kids clean up as you go when you come. yeah right well it's human nature right we don't do it at every stage i feel like um so that's fantastic. Thanks so much for um, you know just spending a few minutes and going through a few of these questions. Uh, what what is going on with your shirt? What is your shirt? What is your shirt? Oh, it says Chateau Fibonacci. It's it's no. actually you know it's funny. I'm glad I wore this. It's it's it. So one of our founders, guy I've known a long time, long before this, JC Peretz. Yeah, um, I met JC out at uh, the CMT uh, out out in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've known JC for many many years since before Market yeah. Watch. And then now he became part of, of Tiffin. But while he was building all-star charts, he he also founded a winery. So, you know, Fibonacci sequence for technical analysis, like a very important, you know, the golden ratio and all that. So the name of his winery is Chateau Fibonacci. And it's one of the things when we were doing the deal with JC, I was like, listen, we're gonna have to untangle this winery from Fibonacci. <laughs> <laughs> I did get the t-shirt. <laughs> right. Perfect. Well, JC, you got a little bit of a product shout out here. And that's a note to all of you. Do not entangle your winery with your main financial education business. Um, also, if you have a winery, like you don't have many problems. Right, right, right. <laughs> what are you doing anyway if you have a winery, right? Just spend time out there. Two closing questions for you. Um, name of the podcast is The Stillest Hour. And it's this idea that starting and running companies is an incredibly grueling endeavor. Um, can you tell us about a time when you felt like giving up completely? You know, what, what got you through that period of time? What kept you going? Any advice to an entrepreneur who's kind of considering just packing it in? Uh, considering packing it in like quitting? Yeah. Um, there are many times, less so during this journey because I had already gone through it. But I would say when, I, when we were building even financial, um, that was easily the most difficult time in my financial life. Um, I left, I was 40 years old. I left a, a great job as GM of market wash with a great company, making a ton of money. My wife, uh, doesn't work outside the homes. So we didn't have any other income coming in. I had two kids that were young. Uh, and you know, I just felt compelled to do it. But in the middle of that, I think everyone would have that view of there, there are many easier ways to find financial rewards than, than starting and running a company. Like you can work for lots of people and make lots of money. If you're as good, if you're good enough to have a successful business, then you're good enough to work for somebody else doing that. Yeah. And I think that, um, so if you're doing it, there's a, the reason why you're doing it is because you're compelled. And if you're compelled to do it, then you just have to look back in on yourself and say, all right, I'm doing this because like, I already quit that other job or I didn't do that other path. And there's a reason for that. So I'm just going to keep, keep firing away. I think there is no, and this is just a personal thing. It's not, it's my opinion. I don't believe there is any uh, skill that can overcome perseverance. There is nothing that can overcome perseverance. And you see that all the time, but it's also like, yeah, what kept me going was I, I didn't want to go back to the corporate world. I wanted to make this work. I had to feed my family who were, all my friends thought I was the dumbest person they've ever met. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you're compelled to do it, do it. And if you're not compelled to do it, don't do it. Because mm -hmm. then you definitely will. It's too hard. It's just too hard. You almost so, need that desperation. You need a desperation and a call, like a calling to do it. it has to be. It's the only way. It, it, it's just the only way to like succeed. I think uh, people make a lot of people like. I think it became a little bit trite, but like I found the book uh, "A Hard Thing About Hard Things." 
like really helpful during that period because I'm reading this book, which all the VCs and we're all like, oh yeah, yeah, whatever. But let me tell you something. Like he was describing like my life. Like I was like, all right, you know, yeah, uh, yeah you do it because you do it because you're you're building and you're investing in something that's going to have a value. And when you have, you know, a corporate career, you can do that in other ways, like 401ks or investments or real estate. But like, if your startup is your thing, then you just have to look at every miserable hard time as like another brick that you're putting onto that onto that pyramid you're building. Yeah, no, it's excellent. It's excellent. You've already recommended one book, um, but what's a book that you're reading? You're, what's a book you're reading right now um, that you'd recommend or one you've read recently? Yeah, you know, you know what, my I do like that book, but that, that I would that's not like the book that I think would get you through. Okay. Never mind. Don't read that. Yeah. No, no, read it. But it's like a, it's, a, it's like a, it's like a feel good. Like yeah. I, I think the book that gets that would get you actually get you through building a business. Uh, actually, it's a, a the trilogy. Uh, and and probably oh, the trilogy of uh, Atkinson's um, uh, what's it called Liberation Trilogy. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Uh, just the the mechanics of like building up to U.S. entering World War II and getting through World War II. There's nothing that any of these entrepreneurs are going to do that in any way compares to the human endeavors that have been undertaken under duress and the scale of those endeavors. Mm-hmm. And I find that I'm sure any, I, I happen to be into like World War II, but any military, like military history or just history in general, probably military history. And I would say specifically World War II because that's the one that I know because you can, the scale of what, they had to accomplish the risks of not accomplishing it and and what was sacrificed to do it is so much greater than anything else that you're gonna do like i'm i'm first generation uh american on my mom's side my mom was born in a displaced persons camp in germany after the war and i just like every time i got sort of uh discouraged or had a bad day i'm like it's not compared to like what the generation before me had to do like nobody's shooting at me i'm not i know where my meal is coming from and and if you can, I, so I actually believe that like perspective is the thing that gets you there because I watch people like cry and like, you know, yeah. whine and get upset. And like, you know, they're like, oh my God, woe is me. Like, listen, dude, yeah, you, I know you're stressing. I know it's really hard on you, but like you're doing it over a $14 martini. So like, let's just, right. let's just relax for a second. Right, right. No, that's excellent. And perspective is everything. Um, Ian Rosen, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your insights. And, um, you know, if, if you want to go check him out, uh, go to Tiffin with one F one and, uh, you can check him out there. Ian, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks Paul. Thanks for having me. Take care.